Introducing the Matlock Tapes Extra. There are literally hundreds of recordings in the Matlock archive, and not all of them are suitable for conversion into full episodes of the Matlock Tapes. Sometimes this is due to the quality of the audio not being quite up to broadcast standard, or sometimes simply the brevity of the stories being narrated not being suitable for the show's 30-minute runtime. We also often have difficulty verifying the professor's claims and gathering supporting evidence from the news media of the time. It would be a shame not to share the details of such tapes, so we've created this strand within the podcast for unedited raw material, direct and unaltered. No music, no sound effects, just the voice of Professor Matlock. Listen to him as he tells you one of his stories. Whether it's all true or not, we'll leave you to decide. Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. Oh, hello, Thomasina. How did you get in here? Come here. Aren't you beautiful? (laughs) Yes, you are. You know, I, I rather think I should put you outside while I record this one. I wouldn't want you getting any ideas. Uh, there we are. Right, where was I? <clears throat> it is always a pleasure to meet up again with a fellow academic. So with that concept in mind, I approached my appointment with Dr. Albert Farrier with keen anticipation. I hadn't seen old Albie since the end of the war. He had been quite a big shot in the ministry due to his rather excessive knowledge of radio waves. Indeed, it was rumoured, though never fully confirmed, that Albie was one of the pioneers of radar, and it was partially due to him that we were able to keep tabs on the Nazi airplanes during the Battle of Britain. He got booted out of the ministry, however, after a disagreement with one of his colleagues turned violent. He had a terrible temper, did Albie. All of that was a long time ago, however, and I had heard nothing of him for more than twenty years now, other than the odd bit of tittle-tattle. Yes, I must address that. I had heard, through the grapevine, as it were, that Albie's focus on his studies had driven him quite potty. There was also talk of some kind of breakdown, and a battle with hearing loss. But I knew better than to take notice of gossip. I've no doubt my old colleagues speak just as witheringly about me. I didn't recognise him at first, sat there on the park bench, feeding the birds. His hair was almost shorter length, his beard beyond his chest. It was only when he called out to me with some familiarity that the penny dropped. This was he, Dr. Albert Farrier. He wiped his palm on his brown blazer and shook my hand with a shaking grip. How are you, old friend? I asked him, trying not to wince. He sort of grunted back at me, a positive noise, I think and suggested that I follow him back to his laboratory, which was over on the edge of the park. You never know who's listening, he informed me. I refrained from commenting on that paranoid outburst, preferring instead to make small talk. You shouldn't feed those pigeons, Albie, I said gently. They're flying rats. He laughed. They're much cleverer than rats, Wilbur. He led me across the common over to the university complex. As we walked, I wondered sadly about what must have come to him. Albie wasn't the man he was. I declined the offer of a cup of tea, 
His laboratory doubled as his home, and was, to say the least, untidy. All of the windows were wide open, perhaps for my benefit, blowing the dust out, but also letting the flies in. They buzzed around his empty coffee cups. He lifted a pile of textbooks off a chair and told me to sit down. I respectfully declined, and this momentarily enraged him. Sit down! he roared. I was quite put out by this, and was about to protest when I saw that the anger had now left him, and he tended to me with a placid grin. I sat. Then the small talk continued until I grew weary. To what did I owe this invitation? I asked him. He told me that he had discovered something quite extraordinary. Forgive me, Albie, but why should that involve me? His peers wouldn't believe him, he explained. Many had laughed in his face. But I had an open mind, he flattered me. I would understand. And if I could understand, I could make others understand, and then the scientific community would be forced to listen. This, at least, was his thinking. I'll give you a demonstration, he said, pulling the dust cover off a piece of audio equipment. This really isn't my field, so I begged him to explain. His device was a cube of messy wiring and electronics, shoved partially within a homemade wooden box that was about ten inches cubed. One side housed a speaker, of the like of which I've never seen before or since, the opposite face of the cube, a mass of sockets and switches. He plugged in a small microphone and flicked a lever to set the machine to record his voice. The rain in Spain falls mainly on the plane, and with a flick of the switch, he played the recording back. The rain in Spain falls mainly on the plane. Yes, yes, I, I admit I was impatient. I am familiar with the concept of home recording. I use it myself. Please get on with it. I'm ashamed I erupted. He explained that the playback was at a frequency of about 100 to 120 hertz, as was the level of the human voice. Sonar was about 1 hertz, he educated me. The whistle of a kettle, around 2,000. He then tweaked the settings, and replayed his recorded speech at double its speed, and the rain in Spain falls mainly on the plane, came out of the side speaker sounding rather like he'd inhaled helium. High-pitched and speedy. The rain in Spain falls mainly on the plane. <laughs> now, he said, had that change increased the frequency? Well, yes, I answered, naturally. Wrong. You can change a sound's speed and wavelength, but its frequency will always stay the same. This box of tricks, he told me feverishly, could convert one frequency to another, even to frequencies beyond those currently registered. A great breakthrough. You're blinding me with science, I complained. It sounds like a great invention, but what practical use is it? I'll show you, he danced around the messy room. I'll show you! He went on to wire his device to an electronic booster and plugged that into the power socket in the wall. Since the war, he told me, I've become more and more convinced that there is a particular inaudible frequency used by animals to communicate with each other. Oh, don't laugh, he warned me. You're familiar with the migratory passion of birds in the winter, are you not? Or the tiny squeaks made by bats to signal danger or opportunity to each other? Well, a few months ago, I was experimenting with this device, and I hit upon the frequency by accident. It nearly deafened me, but since I've refined it, and now I can broadcast on that frequency quite safely and successfully. Move over to the window, look out over the park, and learn. He adjusted his machine to transmit rather than record, 
and made some further adjustments to the device, coughed to clear his throat, and spoke slowly into the microphone. Can you hear me, my little darlings? I studied the view from the window. What exactly am I looking for? To whom are you referring? He made another adjustment to the frequency. They only respond to basic emotive words, he muttered before trying again. Move, he shouted into the mic. Fly! Suddenly every bird in the park flew skyward, the fluttering of wings so loud I almost ducked in fright. Is that it, Albie? I was incredulous. You found a way to scare the birds? Congratulations, you've just put the scarecrow industry out of business. He looked at me with mock hurt on his face. Return, he commanded into the microphone. After a moment's silence, improbably, every bird that it took off swooped back down and resumed their original perches in the trees. Impressed? he asked. It takes a great deal of power. The university are hopping mad about how much electricity I'm using. They keep sending a nasty little man around here to lecture me. One day I'm going to lose my temper with him. They don't understand the importance of this, you see. Well, I was stunned. But then I shook myself out of the funk. Surely the bird's return was simply coincidence. This wondrous device he had created was just playing into his delusions. Earlier you were concerned that someone was listening to us, I reminded him. Can you tell me more? Not someone, he corrected me. Some things. What on earth could he mean? And then it struck me. You mean the birds, don't you, Albie? With great sadness, I knew then that he must surely be mad. Someone knocked on his front door, and I was pleased to have the excuse to depart. I must go, Albie, I said, putting on my hat. I don't wish to intrude any further. Albie opened the door and groaned. Not you again, Robinson. The visitor, I would find out later, was a representative of the university, there to scold Albie about his electricity usage. Good day. I went to leave, but Albie grabbed me. I was shocked by the raw aggression on display. Albie, I said quietly, would you let me go? I want to talk with you, Dr. Farrier, this fellow Robinson demanded from the doorway. Just one minute, Albie spat at him. Here, he said to me, take this. And he slipped a reel of tape into my pocket. Keen to get away, I thanked him and said I'd be in touch. That was a lie, of course. I had no intention of doing anything but contacting his relatives or a doctor or getting some sort of help for the man. As it turned out, though, no one would ever see Dr. Albert Farrier again. Or, to that matter, his surly visitor. I would like to read you a cutting from the Cambridge Post uh, from Thursday, 13th of May, 1971. University man found dead on a rooftop. Police have identified the body of a man found dead on the rooftop of the physics unit. Jeffrey Robinson, 40, an administrative officer for the university, was discovered by a window cleaner, his body almost unidentifiable due to attack by animals. Despite bite marks covering his entire body, police believe he only died a few hours before the body was discovered. An investigation into the cause of death is ongoing, and the man's family have been informed. I can't stop thinking about something that Albie said to me. He said, they keep sending a nasty little man around here to lecture me. 
One day, I'm going to lose my temper with him. Another cutting from the Cambridge Post. This time, Thursday, 20th of May, 1971. Sound expert A.W.O. Al. Professor Albert Farrier, noted expert in the field of sound waves, has been reported as missing. Speculation that he has eloped would seem to be supported by the fact that he appears to have taken several items of equipment built using university funds with him. Police are keen to speak with him about an incident last week involving a body found on a rooftop. I often wonder what has become of him and his astonishing device. It would have been so easy for him to pick up that microphone in a fit of rage and mouth gently a single and terrifying word. Kill. The birds might have swooped on poor Robinson like a committee of vultures, pecking their sharp beaks into his flesh. He would have screamed as they circled him, terrified at the sight of nature at its most frightening, at least until a blackbird scratched out his eyeballs and he could see no more. What is bothering me is why the body was found on the roof. That's hardly a place to discard a murder victim. Besides, how would Albie have got it up there? Is it possible that the birds, en masse, picked up Mr. Robinson and flew him up there to consume his corpse, gripping onto his body as they flapped with hundreds of tiny feet? It doesn't bear thinking about. I was quite right in my assessment that my old friend was mad. However, I was wrong to question his abilities. You see, I've had it confirmed. You remember I told of him slipping a reel of tape into my pocket. I should like to play that tape for you now, though I can't vouch for its veracity. I think what you are about to hear is a reversal of the process he demonstrated. Like an insane Dr. Doolittle, if he could talk to the birds, perhaps, just perhaps, the birds could talk back to him. Hate? 